Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 36. The crew is here, as always. How's it going, Richard? Hey, guys, what's up? Not much. Seth, how's it going? It's going good, guys. How you guys doing? I'm doing okay. Seth, 0-2, man. That's I'm starting <laughs> off strong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm trying to lure you guys into a false false sense of security, so I can uh, come back and win in subsequent weeks. Yeah, you know, you have a really unorthodox way of going about these fantasy football leagues. I'm I'm kind of I'm questioning your methods, but hopefully it works out for you. You you want to have the lowest score at the end of the year, right? Nah, nah. <laughs> like golf or something. Yeah, exactly. You're under par. Um, well, you're certainly under par right now. That's for sure. Um, anyway, we got some magic to talk about. We have the entire, uh, battle for Zendikar spoiler, so we're going to get everyone's reaction on that. Seth, as always, you have the expected value for battle for Zendikar. We're going to talk about that and some finance stuff, some, some trends like we always do. And then we got some fish mail. I guess we'll, we'll start it off. We'll talk about, uh, our, our initial impressions of the entire battle for Zendikar set. And um, at the same time, we are saying farewell to Theros Block. So we'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, what we're going to miss about Theros Block and what is the landscape of New Standard. And I have a couple things to chime in about that because I did a lot of uh, playtesting and uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's wild out there, that's for sure. Uh, so the full spoiler, I'll give the floor to you guys. Richard, full spoiler, wh- what do you think? Uh, underwhelming, meh. I, I don't know. It, it spoiler season kind of sputtered halfway through, and it kind of stayed like that the entire way. It was kind of flatlined for the second half. Uh, we got a bunch of uncommons and commons. Uh, nothing too exciting. I think the most exciting thing were the spell lands coming in at uncommon that you could yeah. like, sacrifice to draw two cards or to ramp and things like that. Um, but uh, they they've toned down the power level for standard. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but I think the expeditions will keep people excited, and uh, we we did get some splashy new Eldrazi and Planeswalkers to play with, so we should be able to hold over, but overall, it's kind of meh. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. So not as excited as you were in previous casts? Uh, I don't know. The Full Art Lands are still there. That's, that's probably <laughs> the most exciting thing. Uh <laughs> There are no legacy playables, really, so, yeah, no. What? No Serpentine Spike in uh, in, in Legacy? They can only print Gurmag what? Angler, like, once a year. They can't <laughs> keep giving us new ones. <laughs> yeah. um, Seth, what do you think? Oh, man. Also, not too excited. I mean, I think Limited looks sweet. I like slow Limited formats, and I don't think this will be as slow as uh, Rise of the Eldrazi, but I think it will be slower than Zendikar, which was incredibly fast. So I'm excited for Limited. I'm excited of all the lands, from the common lands to the expeditions. Every land is super sweet. Otherwise, the set just doesn't do a whole lot for me. I feel like every card that could have been constructed playable they added one mana to it for some reason, so it just it doesn't excite me. Like the the most powerful cards in the set still feel slightly overcosted, and I'm just afraid standard is going to be not all that powerful uh, for the next whatever 18 months. Interesting. Um, so let me read a couple things, and I, I want your guys. Since we're on the topic, um, you guys can kind of digest this, and we can discuss this too. So Sam Black uh, tweeted out that. Um, 
uh, and I'm paraphrasing, that the most exciting... It's weird that the most exciting card in this set is a uh, a green Doom Traveler uh, in the Blister Pod. And uh, Paulo wrote an article this morning about... Uh, well, this morning, as of we're, talk, we're doing this cast, um, about what they did with Battle for Zendikar, and they kind of... Um, did some interesting things with the design, uh, more more so like the continuity of like allies, and you can't really distinguish an ally from a regular creature, and just uh, the overall um, like you like you mentioned, Seth, the overall reduction in power creep, and and that's sort of something that has affected the game uh, more recently, and you know I, I'm okay with a lower like a lower power level standard. I'm I'm totally okay with that. So it doesn't really bother me too much. So there are some things I disagree with um, with Sam Black. I thought it was funny because I really do like Doom Traveler, and I'm totally okay with Blister Pod. So, uh, but you know, Apollo's article, I do agree 100%. I think the allies were not nearly as exciting as I originally thought they would be. Uh, you know, we got those spoilers in the dual deck and veteran war leader is still like the best ally in the whole set. And there's not even like, there's maybe one other ally worth even talking about. Uh, so, and yeah, you just can't tell the difference between like an ally and a normal creature. You don't know exactly like what's going on. So I, I understand from that perspective, but I'm not totally trashing on this set. Uh, and we could talk a little bit more of like a financial aspect uh, about it. Uh, later on. So what do you think about those comments specifically, uh, Richard? Uh, I think I agree with most of Apollo's statements. Um, so the ally thing, flavor-wise, yeah, it makes no sense, right? When we first saw a vampire ally, like, cool, and you saw an angel ally, and you saw a goblin ally, and, like, everything's an ally, right? And there's, like, no way to tell what an ally is and what is not an ally, and there's no kind of... Um, you know, besides the rally effect, there's no distinguishing mechanic amongst them. You know, like slivers kind of give each other abilities. Like the enter the battlefield trigger is just a generic ability, so it doesn't feel as special. So flavor-wise, I think it's a bit of a fail. Um, all of other Paul's points were correct in that they're very minor things. Like he was complaining about, uh, you know, there are too many good utility lands, but we're in a gold-colored standard. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that's kind of nitpicking. Like. Like, yes, at least we get design choice now, right? Like, you know, I don't want to just jam Mutavault into my deck and call it a day. I want a choice between, you know, the six colorless lands or, you know, there there actually is a downside of going three colors instead of staying at two colors. So that, you know, while it's a a valid criticism, I don't I don't think that's like a a notch against the set. Um but uh overall, you know, power level's low, people are kinda of complaining, but that's kinda of what standard is, right? Like if it's too powerful, then you know, you're playing kind of legacy or modern in standard, which they don't really want. So you kind of always have this watered down uh battle cruiser magic like uh format. So <laughs> in my opinion, it's the same as always. Right? So I, yeah. I think it's skewed there, but you know it 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 has to tone down a bit, right? Otherwise you end up uh, you know, with like Tarma going some standard and things like that as the norm and then Magic would just get ridiculous, right? So we have to have the down cycle, uh, which only means 
you know, a year from now or six months from now, we'll be clamoring over the super powerful cards are going to re-release again. So I think that's fine. Yeah. I, I like that there's kind of like an ebb and flow of, uh, you know, it gets kind of weak and then it, the, the power level kind of is like a wave almost. And it, it'll come back and re- recede, uh, you know, as they really see fit. But I'm, I'm okay with a low power level standard. Like you said, I, I, I do agree with what you said, Richard. Um, you know, people will complain, but I think ultimately, I mean, I did, I, mean, I am going to share some, some playtesting stories. Uh, so it, it is going to be interactive and fun. I think uh, there's going to be some really diverse decks or archetypes right now, but we'll see like with the future and how this new blockade is going to shake it up. But yeah, just looking through the, the spoiler, like you have like two creatures are right up against each other, like Nirkana assassin. Right. And, and, and then like Hagra sharpshooter, like both of them are allies, but they don't, neither of them have rally. And then it just seems like they're just randomly an ally. So I think there is like kind of like an identity crisis there with what they ended up doing with allies. I get like the entire plane is against Eldrazi, so everyone's an ally now. We didn't really see like vampire allies and goblin allies as much. But uh yeah, it just seems like, oh, you know what, we're just randomly gonna make him an ally or this creature an ally. Uh Seth, sorry to go ahead. Alright. Three things. First off, isn't Tonka Tongue Thalid the Green Doom Traveler? Like, wasn't that already the Green Doom Traveler from, like, Time Spiral or whatever set that came out in? Yeah, uh, but the creature doesn't generate a mana that it left, leaves over, so. Uh, okay. It's like strictly uh, better. Uh, all right. Anyway, <laughs> just wanted to give a shout-out to Tonka Tongue. You, can't, uh, you <laughs> can't forget him. Uh, second thing. I'm fine with them powering down standard. I understand that that's necessary and good for the game to reel in power creep. I'm questioning whether Battle for Zendikar, which has this high level of expectation because it's a return of set and there's a lot of associations people have uh, with what Zendikar is. Like, I'm questioning if this was the time to do that. Like, I get, I think Theros powered down standard to some extent, and... I think that's fine. Like, Theros is a new place. We don't really have any expectation of it. So I'm wondering if using a set that's known for Jason Mind Sculptor, a plane that's known for Jason Mind Sculptor and Goblin Guide and Fetchlands, is that the place you want to all of a sudden put out this, like, kind of low-powered set when people are expecting, like, all of this great stuff? Uh, so those are my first two points. The last thing is I feel like they designed this magic set and then they just randomly, like, spun in some wheel of fate, and were like, okay, like, you get devoid, and you're an ally, and you'll get devoid, and how about you get awakened? It just, every card in the set feels yeah. like they randomly tacked on a mechanic or the ally creature type to, like, pre-existing cards that they already had made. Like, as Paulo expressed in the article... Most of the cards with Devoid don't really need Devoid. Most of the cards that are allies or non-allies could go the other direction. And Awaken, it's the same thing. They just, like, randomly pick some spells to throw Awaken on it and other spells not. There's no rhyme or reason that I can see to what gets the set mechanic. So that's the randomness of it is a little uh, frustrating to me. But that's all of Magic, right? (laughs) Name any mechanic in any set and they just randomly throw it on a body and staple to some spell and add to the converted mana cost, right? Like, 
you know, we, you know, oh, scry, we'll just throw it on lands, we'll, we'll add one to your spell and throw it there, you know, creatures, we'll just give this guy heroic, we'll give this guy prowess. Uh, the, the big difference I see is usually those mechanics are stapled to a color, right? So, you know, certain colors get prowess. Uh, in this set, it's Eldrazi, and they all just get devoid, right? So you don't get that color pie, you kind of just get, like, random creatures get devoid, and then they get the ingest. So... You know, that's a bit awkward, but it's the same thing that we've seen through all of Magic, right? Take your take your vanilla creatures, staple on the new set mechanic, add to the converted mana cost as necessary, and then throw in some flavor names, right? Oh, it's Lightning Strike now, right? It's uh, it's not Incinerate anymore, right? So we've seen it the entire time, you know, the, the entire history of Magic. So I don't know why people are complaining now. It's This is how the game works. I I got a question for you while we're on the topic, Richard. So one of the things it feels like to me is that Wizards, I think I tweeted this a few days ago, values Devoid as being worth an additional mana. Like every almost every card with Devoid, if you look at it, it feels like just having Devoid on it adds one to the mana cost compared to what the non-Devoid version would be. And I thought this was ridiculous and didn't think Devoid was worth anywhere near a mana. I think it's basically, in 99% of cases, a throwaway mechanic. Uh, but someone said that the problem is it would break Eternal formats if they had all these colorless cards that were more efficiently costed. Is there any way that that's true? Is there anything in Legacy that would break if you had a Lightning Strike that was colorless? I'm not buying to, that. To I mean, we, like colorless to cast, or just colorless? In, well, yeah, because like, because the spell is colorless, it would break like older formats. I think like, if it's colorless, it would break. Older are we formats. really designing an entire set and and making cards like they don't want to make devoid cards too good because of pyroblast? Like, is that yeah. what you're really telling me? Or mother like, runes? Yeah, or, right. If, like, if, is if that pyroblast? I don't buy it. But uh, as I was looking through the set for legacy cards, a lot of things just slot into mud. Because it's colorless, and, uh, you know, it can kill Emrakul. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, well, there's a lot of things that kill Emrakul now. <laughs> but then, but... But, you know, Pyroblast and, you know, Red Elemental Blast and things like that, I don't think is as big of an issue. Um, but, you know, just having something straight up colorless and costing, like, you know, having the, the colorless, um, what's the card? Scour into existence or whatever? Like, that looks like limited jank, but you could conceivably play it in mud. Right, because it's colorless and it just removes something outright. Uh, the increase in mana is not uh, that effective for, or is not a draw drawback for a mud deck because it generates so much mana anyway. Um, so things like that could break the format, but I think they should have did something else. Um, because, like most people say, like devoid and ingest are flavor mechanics for the most part. They basically don't even do anything in 99% of the cases. So that in itself is a bit clunky. That is my that is my gripe about Devoid. Uh, that, so I guess that is another little uh, nitpick that I do agree with Paolo on, is we didn't really have that question when we initially saw Battle for Zendikar. We're like, oh, Devoid, that's cool. But now that seeing the whole set, it's like, what does, De- what does a card have, having Devoid actually do? In standard, it doesn't do anything. I can understand uh, older formats, and that's fine. But again, like, we, it's not like Legacy is the most uh, abundant, uh, like abundant format that people are playing at a high at a high level. That's that's you know they only really have like what two. We're down to like what two G- Legacy GPs a year. Yeah. So I mean, are so are we? 
do do they care about legacy or do they not care about legacy? So it's like they care about legacy enough to uh, build an entire mechanic around it in Devoid, but they don't really care enough about legacy to really shove it back into the limelight and say, oh, you know, we still do care about legacy enough to showcase it on a stream. So I just I don't understand that. The other point about Devoid is now that we have the full spoiler, uh, Devoid would make sense if we had cards like Terror or cards like Dark Banishing or something like that, that actually that, – that having a color actually mattered. When you print a bunch of Devoid creatures randomly at this point uh, and then you print a card like Ruinous Path that doesn't really care whether you're Devoid or a white, a white creature or a blue creature – it doesn't really make any sense for a card to have Devoid then because it's just going to die anyway. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, they they remove protection from color, and then they introduce Devoid. Right, which is like exactly. Right? If you had, like, Etched Champion in the format, like, yeah, these Devoid cards are great, right? Like, protection from all colors? Don't worry, I got Devoid cards. But right. as of right now, Devoid cards, like, have zero impact, right? And you need colored mana to cast them anyway, so, like, they, it literally does nothing. Yeah, it's not like... Like, if Stasis Snare was like, you know, you can't use it on a Devoid, or a, 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 you can't, you can only target a colored creature, then, you know, you're starting to see, oh, like, Devoid creatures are a little more uh, resilient to removal in this format, so having Devoid makes sense. When you have cards like Ruinous Path and Stasis Snare, and it's, it doesn't matter what color, it, it, it doesn't matter, it's uh, non-biased. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, so I definitely expected more like Ugin Spirit Dragon type cards. Exactly. Like number of colors of mana or something are relevant in your uh, in your creatures. Yeah, yeah uh, I, I just. I mean, isn't Devoid one of the worst mechanics or least powerful mechanics ever ever made? And isn't Ingest right in the same league? Like these are two of the worst mechanics or least powerful at least that they've ever printed. And they're on, in the same set, and a lot of times on the same card. Like, it's Not, hard for me to get excited about these Eldrazi Devoid that have even a mechanic. <laughs> right, exactly. I was about to say, a Devoid isn't even really a mechanic. It's like, is Tribal a mechanic? At least ex- Tribal had some points, right? The Void right, well, doesn't even have a point. Exactly, and that, it's just because of the points that we just mentioned, Richard. Like, Devoid isn't even a mechanic to me because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't... Being having devoid means nothing. It, it, it literally should just have no text. They, like they, they should have made no it a point. type so I could get a bigger goif. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, ingest isn't even really that bad. Like it's not too terrible. But again, another little nitpick is, uh, I guess I'm agreeing more with Paolo like as we go along because I mean I'm not really again. These are nitpicks. I still like the set overall. I do question some of their design uh, choices and how they built this set. But um, what I was going to say was the whole thing with uh, Ingest is we didn't see the payoff cards like we wanted to, right, Richard? We kept talking about what's the payoff to Ingest. And basically it's still just Oblivion Sower, which we saw before any of the other set. And we're thinking, oh, okay, so this is one of those cards where ingest, you, you ingest, you ingest, you ingest, and then you have Oblivion Sower to use from those ingesters. And I don't know, I'm just not seeing a lot of good payoffs. I mean, Blight Herder, sure. I mean, you have some random cards like, uh, like you said, Seth, um, they, they randomly tacked on like an extra color 
and made this devoid. It's like a functional reprint of Flame Slash, but you know, then you have to remove. They made it way worse. They attacked on a mana, and then oh, but you ingested something, so now you get to do five damage. It's like uh, that's just a lot of work for a one more damage Flame Slash at two mana. So I, I don't know. It's it's just a little weird. The, the payoff cards aren't as nearly as good as I thought, nowhere near as good as Oblivion Sower, I think. Yeah, I think they wasted a lot of design potential there. Like, you could have had Emrakul-type cards that are, like, 15 to cast, and then one less for each card you ingest, like, reverse ingest. Right. Or you could have something that, when it enters the battlefield, deal one damage for each card in exile, or draw one card for each card in exile. You could have had a lot of, like, big, flashy payoff cards that will probably suck anyway, Right, because you need to spend all this time ingesting, but at least you know you you can build a fun deck that that builds to something, right? That has the big payoff. Now the big payoff is like, now you know what the big payoff is? Like cast right. some six mana dirtle. Yeah, right? like exactly, I, I want to exactly, do big flash exactly. things with all the cards I spent ingesting or all right, the time the, I spent ingesting, right? And the two sets would have meshed a little better together because now you have delve and you're like oh, shit, do I really want to delve X creatures so they get, like, a five-mana, you know, monster, huge, like, Emrakul-type creature? You know what? I'm just going to delve anyway because the biggest thing that's going to hurt me or the biggest thing I have to play around is a Wasteland Strangler. It's like, really? I, you know, that's what I'm worried about with delving for my turn two uh, Tazigur. You're going to Wasteland Strangler? Okay, go ahead. It's like it's not really that big of a deal where if they made it so oh, man, I really don't know if I want to delve because X ingest card, uh, taking those cards and turning it against me is going to be awful in this situation where now it's like, oh, I really don't care if I delve or not. So I think you would have had that kind of synergy there. But they kind of just blew that. So maybe they turn it around and oath to Gatewatch, but, I mean, we don't know anything about that uh, set other than the name, so... It's it's a lot of uh, idle speculation at this point. So, uh, any closing thoughts on Battle for Zendikar? I think we said everything we're going to say. <laughs> so we're not dumping on that. Set. <laughs> yeah. So we don't agree with Paul at all. But yeah, this set is terrible, guys. <laughs> right. It, it, we, we don't agree with Paulo. We still think it's terrible, but not for the reasons Paulo is describing. <laughs> but I, no. I think Paulo is, is dead on. Like, every single one of his oh, he... points was a very minor thing. And if it was the only thing wrong with the set, no one would speak up. But there's just, like, this critical mass of, like, small things. And then that that yeah. produces the meh feeling of Battle for Zendikar. Yeah, I think that's a really good... I think that sums it up quite nicely. Like, there's not one huge glaring problem with the set. Like, I don't look at the sets like, oh my... Like, this is awful because of X. It's just all these little things that suddenly added up because... I think it's also lends to what you said, Seth, is we had this expectation and all these little things kind of ruin that expectation. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Yeah. So there are some cool cards. We'll, we'll talk about them, but, um, so yeah, that, uh, that about does it for battle for Zendikar. Um, one last final thing. So just to share some, uh, uh, play testing, uh, <laughs> stories with you guys so thank you top level podcast for introducing the landfall deck i will call it uh into the next standard because this thing is scary i lost to it very handedly uh it can go from either three to four colors i don't really know i don't have deck lists uh to provide so all i can really uh 
provide to you is how the game shook down. And let me tell you, it starts off and you think it's a terrible draft deck and you find out by turn four that you're pretty much dead. And it's <laughs> off the back of a Scythe uh, Leopard and a McKinney Slide Runner and a Snapping Gnarled. And you're like, what are these awful landfall creatures? Where's the plated GOP? You know, the, these landfall creatures are nowhere near the predecessors. And you still lose anyway. Uh, so um, I think it's attributed to uh, how good Atarka's command is going to suddenly start being because the Atarka Red uh, deck that I played with is also still uh, in- incredibly powerful and Exquisite Firecraft and Abbot of Carol Keep and Atarka's Command and all these cards are not going anywhere. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really awful uh, playing against that for a few weeks. And right alongside it is this Landfall deck. And again, out of nowhere, you get a couple awful landfall creatures and you think you're okay and then suddenly you're not okay by turn four and you're basically you basically lost uh so uh, hopefully the language pulls through if not you're going to be losing to a lot of mckinney slide runners and snapping gnarlids that's for sure so um one other one other thing is um i wasn't as excited about the company lands as i originally looked at them and I, I'm actually going to have to agree with Seth uh, on this cast, as painful as it's about to be. <laughs> yes, Seth, they're very good for standard. Okay. Hey. And, yeah. I finally uh, got one right. <laughs> yeah, they're they're very good for standard. Not quite as awful as I thought they would be. <laughs> and um, we're looking at a, st- a standard mana base that's pretty much going to rival uh, modern. Uh, and I wouldn't be too surprised if and again it's going to be a fringe if anything so you're going to be unfortunately right again uh that they kind of creep into modern because i would assume well maybe zoo doesn't want like a a, a company land because they don't care about taking damage from their la- their lands uh, a deck a slower deck maybe like jeskai th- those american control lists or like a a team or twin or something like that may incorporate some number of these company lands. So, um, yeah, they're a lot better than I thought. And standard is going to be pretty fun. If not just for that alone, uh, the mana bases are going to be pretty insane. That's one thing I do like is I can just play five color control for the next six months. And, uh, whether it's good or not, (laughs) I will enjoy it. No creatures, just all awaken as the finisher, five colors. (laughs) I will see you guys six months from now. (laughs) Um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see, like, mono green X deck, but has, like, f- access to, like, four different colors. It's going to be very interesting, for sure. Uh, so, that's just my little, uh, on-topic, uh, playtesting, very preliminary playtesting experience. I'm definitely going to do more before we cast next week to kind of elaborate on that, expand on that, but, uh, so far, it's it's fun. It's Definitely not as slow as I thought, but it's not as fast as I thought either. It's definitely like you're either ramping as fast as you can into Ulamog or you're playing Atarka Red, and there's like really no in-between. So <laughs> Ulamog's definitely the, de- the real deal. Did you not play Abzan? <laughs> How's Abzan not- gone? You skipped I played- there and cast Seed Rhinos. That can't be bad, right? <laughs> I played... 
I, I actually didn't play as much Jeskai and Abzan. I played a lot of different, like, rogue decks, I, I guess you want to call them. But I did play one Abzan aggro deck. Uh, I did see a Siege Rhino. Um, I did end up losing to the said Abzan list, but uh, Siege Rhino was honestly, like, an afterthought. Uh, turn one, Warden of the First Tree, uh, and then, like, Adrana, and then all of a sudden, like, their whole team is getting... Plus one, plus one counters, and you're, like, insanely behind is a real thing. Like, it does hurt that you lose Fleece Main Line in that deck list, but I can't remember what they were playing instead of that. I think it was, like, a Hangerback Walker, so I guess that really ends up working anyway, yeah. because you get plus one, plus one counters from Drana, and, yeah, it was it was brutal. But good thing Languish is still in the format, because uh, that was very helpful, and I have to say, Radiant Flames is a lot better than people well than I originally gave it gave it credit for. Uh, it's very much needed right now. I don't know if it's going to be a staple going forward, but I'm assuming for at least a few weeks, a month, or whatever, when aggro's all over the place, you're going to need Radiant Flames uh, because that's really the last. I mean, that's really what we're left with is in terms of like a efficient sweeper. That being said. Let's talk about some price movement, Seth. Alrighty then. Um, let's see. So we're going to start with standard. Is that what you guys want to do, or battle for Zendikar? Let's let's talk about the battle for Zendikar since we want to uh, stay on topic. All right, battle for Zendikar. Looking at the weekly winners. Oh my. Under- Undergrowth Champion is almost a twenty dollar card, up a hundred and twenty three percent this week. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's by far the biggest one. After that, we have Obnixilis, Ruinous Path, Canopy Vista, Sunken Hollow, Fad, uh, Fathom Feeder, Gideon, Prairie Stream, and a couple more basic lands. So those are the winners. As far as the losers, Part the Water Veil, Sire of Stagnation, Scatter to the Winds, Dragon Master Outcast, Quarantine Field, Aligned Hedron Network, Beast Caller, Savant, Gruesome Slaughter, Akum Firebird, and Painful Truths. Hey, I think no, I got not... all the names. All the names right yeah, this week, or close to it. That was very it. good. That was very good. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Very I, good. I, I spent most of the uh, past week watching Reading Rainbow, as you guys suggested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, yeah. That was a great paying show. off, paying off. Yeah, I'm telling you, yeah, paid absolutely. Off. Yeah, absolutely. I was more looking at the daily change where I'm looking at uh, number one, bring to light. I'm just shaking my head. Uh, but I'm, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, I'm not surprised about Undergrowth Champion. I'm really not. Uh, so is this uh, the next Death Mist Raptor, the green three drop that everyone initially undervalued and is insane? Is that what we're thinking now? Well... Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking so. I don't know if it really it, it does a different role than Death Mist Raptor, but I would say so. Yeah, whether this this keeps that price, I just don't think this is sustainable. Yeah, I'm I'm not too surprised. Uh, top level podcast mentioned it, and I guess during this period, as long as top level podcast says it's a good card, here we go. A day later, up 123 percent, and the rest is kind of history. We'll talk about the EV uh, article that you wrote, Seth. Um, 
in a minute, but just to kind of allude to that, I just don't see a lot of these cards. Like, yes, there will be price spikes, but I just don't see them maintaining that kind of uh, price point for the long term. I just don't think it, it, it's sustainable because, you know, you have a lot of things that you mentioned where you have the expeditions, you have like two rare land cycles, so you kind of have a, 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 a floor with those rare land cycles and a soft ceiling with the expeditions so really and then the ev was kind of normalized but i'll let you talk about that more so but for right now i guess it's it's warranted because it's a really good card yeah it's it's really crazy how many mythics are expensive at the moment like gideon is over 25 bucks ulamog is over 20 bucks obnixilis is almost 20 bucks kiora same place undergrowth champion there's something's got to give with these mythics. This set can't have five or six $20 mythics. It's just not possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if this was a, if this was more of like a situation where, you know, and I reread your, your EV article for dragons of Tarkir, just so I have the information in front of me to compare. Uh, when you wrote the EV for dragons of Tarkir, you had it at $75. And that would make more sense uh, that some of these mythics, would end up holding a higher price just because, you know, discount the, the the expeditions, it would still be a low EV and there would still have to be uh, some cards to play catch up to kind of round out that, that value. But it's a normal, fairly normal EV. Are, uh, you're talking about the Dragon's EV or the Battle for Zendikar EV? The, the, the Dragon EV was started out lower, so that's why you saw some of these Mythics uh, and rares, and even in like Deathmiss Raptor or Den Protector, rather, uh, increase in price and kind of just stay there because the initial EV was so low that right. uh, some of these cards had to uh, play catch up on some of that value. Here we're seeing more of a normalized EV, so it's more of like a situation where we have cons of Tarkir where initially stuff started high and then kind of crashed back down. Exactly. Yep. That's, uh, I mean, the dragon thing is actually really interesting. I didn't think that that could happen in this day and age, but with so much focus being on MTG finance and so many big vendors, but the set was literally underpriced during pre-order periods or, I mean, worst case, the EV now is even with where it was during pre-orders. And I think it's actually slightly higher now. So it's really amazing to me that all the big vendors just underpriced an entire set. Like, that hasn't happened since the Jace the Mind Sculptor days when they completely missed. Like, sets have been extremely overpriced during pre-orders for the past five years or more because of the Jace the Mind Sculptor phenomena. So it's really yeah. crazy to me that, that that happened. But like you said, Battle for Zendikar is fairly typical as far as EV, and these mythics have to come back down, just like cons, like you were saying. Yeah. So, yeah, just to segue into that, um, Seth, you did write it. So just for the listeners, just kind of elaborate a little more um, than what we just talked about. All right. As far as the EV of Battle for Zendikar in specific, uh, going by eBay completed listing prices and accounting for 15% deduction for fees and shipping, you're looking at five out of six boxes, you will get about $90 worth of cards. Like, that is the EV of the set, not counting the expeditions. So I decided instead of just 
going with a normal EV where everything's included, I thought it was important to do a without Expedition EV and a with Expedition EV just because the odds of opening an Expedition are so low that I didn't want people to get the impression that any box you buy is going to make you money. Because once you include the Expeditions in the EV, that number jumps all the way up to 115 or even $120, which is a pretty good deal if you can buy a box for $90. So kind of what I came to as far as the conclusion is five out of six boxes of Battle for Zendikar are going to lose you a little bit of money. On average, you're going to get $75, $95, $90. That's five out of six boxes. Then one out of every six boxes, you're going to hit the lucky box that is worth $200 or even $500 if you happen to hit the right expedition. So it makes this really interesting tension. And I, a set like Cons had a similar EV during pre-orders, actually maybe slightly higher. But that was coming from fetch lands that were included in the rare slot. So when you bought a box of Cons, there wasn't that much variance. A bad box might get you $100, while a good box might get you $140. But you were always in this like relatively small range. With Battle for Zendikar, the range is massive. Like Most boxes are going to lose you money. If you open a case of Battle for Zendikar, your boxes are going to be worth $70, $75, $90, $95, 80 And then one box is going to be worth 100 or 230 or 350 so buying one box is just incredibly risky. Uh, but if you're a big vendor, this set is great for you because you're going to be opening case upon case and you can even out that variance in every single box is going to make you money because you know you'll hit those expeditions eventually. But for a normal player buying one box, this is the epitome of gambling, like opening a box of Battle for Zendikar and hoping, hoping that you'll pull a profit. Is, it is yeah. exactly a, a complete gamble. Yeah. So we, we did talk about uh, in previous casts that if you were going to invest in sealed product, this would be one of the better ones to consider because of this lottery. Uh, so I, I still haven't really changed my, my outlook on that uh, in terms of hoarding sealed product. But at the same time, if you're expecting like an instant like kind of return on these where, you know, these are suddenly going to start appreciating – I would temper expectations. It, it might take longer than you expect. But again, what, just because of the expeditions, it's still going to be a good investment in seal product. Um, and yeah, it's, it's obviously just going to be, if you're going to do it, this would be the set to do it, right? Yeah. And I mean, as far as holding sealed product, the, the whole equation changes because since you're not opening it, you don't really care if there's an expedition or not, if you're just going to hold right. it and sell it to someone else. Uh, so, but yes, as far as a set, if you want to buy and crack a box or buy and hold a box, this is definitely the best set since cons. And then probably before that return to Ravnica and it's even better than return to Ravnica in the long run because of the expedition. So this is one of the best sets to buy a box of in the last three or four years. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Richard. Yeah. Well, we're missing one last part of the equation, right? And that's how good is the limited format, right? People will be willing to buy boxes in the future if the draft environment is really good. Uh, if it's really bad, then uh, the only purpose of buying sealed product is to take that gamble. Um, but, you know, we've seen like Innistrad, 
uh, even KTK, like those are really good draft formats. So people are willing to buy sealed products, um, you know, just to play, like let alone the value, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is a, a very huge equation in all of this too. Um, would the, will the expeditions just overshadow that? Maybe, but um, it would certainly it would certainly alleviate that even thought of well, you know, I'm, I'm buying all this steel product. Will it increase over X period of time? And will people even want to pay the increased price after X uh, amount of time? Having a great uh, draft environment would help a lot. So um, that is a big equation of that. Um, in terms of EV goes, Seth, uh, what can we draw? Can we draw some conclusions about what we see in terms of specific singles in this set? Uh, I know I mentioned just earlier that the conclusions I draw is that we have two land cycles. Now, the company lands are not fetch lands by any stretch of the means, but they are good enough that uh, they could they will retain some value. So and and the uh, the animation lands uh also will retain some value because whether they're good or not good enough or not people still like to play with them uh so you have a full two sets of rare cycle lands so that's kind of putting a hard floor on where other rares and mythics end up coming in in terms of uh what value they hold in the set and then you have this expeditions where do- which doesn't really put a hard cap on the set like like fetch lands do because you're not opening up you know, four or five expeditions in a box where you were kind of averaging like a 3.5, you know, uh, fetches in a box when you opened up KTK because they were a rare slot and not even a, a mythic or uh, uh, an expedition rarity. So that's the kind of conclusion I'm drawing to. And with that scenario, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a lot of mythics and rares. Uh, spiking is one thing. You know, any one card can spike and kind of, uh, you know, after a great showing at a tournament and kind of hold that price for a little bit of time before crashing back down. But I just think any kind of high-valued uh, cards is just not sustainable for that many cards. So you're not going to have a situation where you have a Dragon Lord Ojutai and a Death Mist Raptor and a $9 uh, Den Protector Rare. And if you look into that a little bit deeper, right now the average price of a Mythic is $6.81. and Six months from now, when we're at this, like, peak supply time, that is going to have to be, to get the box in the right EV range, is going to be have to be around $3. So, as a group, the Mythics are going to have to lose a little bit more than half of their current value. And the Rares are about the same thing. They're at $1.26, and they're going to have to be an average of $0.60, to get the box in the right EV range. So... What I would expect to happen is the Mythics are going to look a lot like cons of Tarkir Mythics, cards that now are $20 and seem really good and might even be really good are going to be 8 or $10, just like uh, Soren from cons of Tarkir. The bad Mythics, instead of floating in the 3 to $5 range, are going to be in the $1 to $3 range. And with the rares, I don't think it's the lands that are going to give up the value. So a lot of rares that are still being played in standard are going to follow the trajectory of Mantis Rider and Rattleclaw Mystic. Cards that could be $5 in a different set are going to be $0.99 cents or $0.75 cents or a buck fifty. So I think those are the type of cards 
which, as we said a couple weeks ago, is great for standard players because you're going to be able to get four of standard staples like uh, Mantis Rider for a, a $4 a playset when in another set you'd be paying 15 or 20 bucks for a playset of that card. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think that's really kind of where I anticipate this set going, and those conclusions, obviously the EV article uh, is amazing for this set, and, and thank you. Uh, it, you always do this for every set, and it's just amazing, and you can draw so many conclusions from that. Um, but yeah, specifically with these expeditions, it's almost like you have to kind of discount the expeditions and just look at it pr- primarily against other sets. And, you know, would if if Battle for Zendikar started out at a point where it was $75, then we're kind of looking at a situation, again, discounting the expeditions, that some of these cards are going to increase, um, and it would have been undervalued at $75 uh, by vendors. Again, uh, like Dragons of Tarkir did, and you're going to see those you know, maybe a $9 X-Rare in Battle for Zendikar, or the $25-$30 X-Mythic, like a Dragon Lord Ojitai. But in this scenario, we're getting a fairly basic EV, like not really too exciting, kind of uh, a normal EV that we're expected to see in the $90. And then you have uh, the Expeditions on top of that, which is, again, creating this sort of soft ceiling, because as soon as X-Mythics or whatever start spiking, and if they end up keeping that price, then that just incentivizes people even further to go out and say, well, I mean, I'm getting a chance at a $35 undergrowth champion, plus I get a chance at an expedition, so why wouldn't I go crack a box? Exactly. Yep, I, you are dead on as far as that. I think that's that's really true, and that's the that's the thing about the expeditions. Even though you're not going to open them very often, and if you buy a single box, you're probably not going to open them, it can still entice people, we talked about this before too, that don't buy boxes to buy a whole case because of the expeditions. So the supply is certainly going to be huge, and that further drives down the prices. Yeah. So again, it's more of like a a Cons of Tarkir scenario where, you know, not when Cons of Tarkir came out, you saw a few mythics like Anafens of the Foremost sitting at like $10, whereas today it's maybe like a $3 mythic or something like that. So that's a huge disparity of where it started and where it ended up. Even Mantis Rider started out, um, because people wanted these Mantis Riders, because Jeskai was doing well, we did see a, a price increase, but it didn't last. It didn't sustain because people were opening up so many boxes just for the fetches. Um, so fast forward to now, we see under $1, close to $1 Mantis Riders. So there's not a lot of wiggle room to find the value in this set it's it's more of like a normalized set that we've seen in the past closely related to cons of tarkir that's not to say there's not going to be maybe a few one dollar cards that increase to three dollars or four dollars or something like that which barely even moves the needle on ev the overall ev of the set uh but you can expect that a lot of the cards now at their pre-order peak are going to come down and maybe some cards come up a little bit from uh, an under-costed pre-order price, like a Fathom Feeder or something like that, where it started under a dollar and it comes up to like $3. Yeah, I mean, there will be a handful, probably five or less cards that over the next couple months increase from their pre-order prices, but 
as a whole, like, all the cards in the set will be coming down. Like, there'll be a few exceptions, but otherwise, everything is on a downward trajectory. Yeah. So, again, I was having a discussion with a lot of people. I wanted to kind of talk about it here on the cast with you, with both of you. Um, I really appreciate your guys' thoughts, and I, I think we kind of nailed it head-on uh, with this set. And overall, I, I'm not discounting the set on a, on a finance perspective or a player's perspective, because, you know, from a finance, I'm not going to totally write it off because there are some decent cards in the set. Obviously, if you were pre-ordering, like, an undergrowth champion, you are looking pretty good right now because it's, like, a $20 mythic. And... Um, you'll be able to trade them out at $20 for a little while or something like that. Uh, but at the same time, it's good because, like you said, Seth, we're, we're going to have a scenario where viable standard cards are going to be undercosted, and that's great for everyone in terms of a fur player, that they can go out and get viable like cards like Mantis Rider and spend $4 on an entire playset where normally it would have been like $15. So all around good, and I, I think, you know, people are kind of groaning and moaning about Expeditions a little bit. I was initially too, but overall, stuff like this is actually good in disguise because it kind of drives down the prices for standard. So. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely right. It's a good thing for players because they get to build their standard decks for way less than it would be. Let the pimpers and eternal players pay uh, subsidize their standard by paying for these expeditions <laughs> right exactly so uh that can kind of wrap it up for battle for zendikar again the full spoiler is out um pre-releases are this weekend so go have fun are, are you guys going yeah i'm, I'm signed up for the midnight All pre-release right. Directly after FNM, so we got a good ten hours of magic there. <laughs> All right, we want we want pictures of your expedition. Uh, what is a smoldering marsh? Uh, Scalding Tarn, uh, and that's pack one, pack two. I, I think I'll settle for like a green, maybe a wooded foothills. You know, I don't want to take all. The <laughs> um, we do have some fish mail, so let's let's talk let's talk about that, Richard. It's a really good one, actually. Uh, all right, let me let me grab it here. This is from uh, Neville Shoot Martin via email. People like the email for some reason instead of using our hashtag hashtag MDG Fishmail. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have a question yeah. regarding Tarmogoyf, and let me preface this by saying I'm fully aware that I'm asking you guys to basically speculate wildly. Uh, I only ever play Legacy. Yes. And I have been fortunate enough to collect most <laughs> legacy staples before they reach their current prices. Lucky. Uh, I have the cards to build pretty much every blue legacy deck, with one glaring omission being that I don't own Tarmogoyz. Oh, okay, so you can't build many decks at all then. <laughs> so I recently considered buying a playset of Tarmogoyz, but I'm, I worry that Wizards might, at some stage, quote-unquote, retire them. Uh, and by this, I mean throughout the game's hmm. history... Uh, there's been an ever-present power creep when it comes to creatures, and for Tarmogoyf, it's just a vanilla creature. So my question is twofold for you guys. When do you consider, or what do you consider, the chances of Wizards eventually printing a creature that straight up is an upgrade to Tarmogoyf, or perhaps more realistically, is a card that will invalidate, invalidate Tarmogoyf? Uh, something like Delve, Deathrite Shaman, Rest in Peace. Uh, and two, if they do, what do you envision happening to the price of Tarmogoyf? 
Hmm. Yeah, this is a really, really good one. I like this one. Uh, I'm curious to see what you guys think. Can you really not build a lot of legacy decks without Tarmogoyf? Uh, so, so most decks splash green to throw uh, on Tarmogoyf. So you can build decks without Tarmogoyf, but a lot of yeah, like a lot of the decks you, play green for Tarmogoyf. Gotcha. Like, can't you play? Can't you play like Jeskai Stoneblade or something like that? You could. God. All right. So there you go. Um, it's white or I'll green. Let, Those are your two creature paths. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. I'll I'll, I'll let you guys. Uh, field this one first. Uh, Richard? Will they ever make a creature stronger than Tarmogoyf? Um, I'm going to say no. I, I don't think they're going to straight up make a better vanilla creature. They might make something like Tastiger. Uh, a lot of people consider Tastiger kind of a replacement to Tarmogoyf or maybe Gurmag Angler. Um, but it's not just straight up better and there's some downsides. Um, but in terms of a vanilla creature, I don't imagine them printing like a what would it have to be like a two mana star star where star is your opponent's life or something? Like I, I don't know how they could do this aside from straighting printing a straight two mana ten ten. So I don't think they'll retire him. Um, I don't think they'll invalidate him entirely either because the graveyard is an essential part of this uh, of magic. So they can't just remove that zone entirely. Like they could make a one mana three three that's uh, basically an offensa. Anything that hits the graveyard. Uh, will get exiled. Um, but I don't think they would do that because the graveyard is an important part of magic and they don't want to just remove that. So, no, I don't think Tarmogoyf is going anywhere. Uh, I think the most likely scenario is they reprint it or somehow make it more common to drive down the price, but I don't think we're getting Tarmogoyf 2.0 anywhere. Hmm. Seth? No. No to everything. There's... <laughs> I don't think there is any way they can reasonably outclass Tarmogoyf. Just for what it does, they haven't even... How long has it been since Tarmogoyf was originally printed? Almost 10 years now? And mm -hmm. they haven't even come close to printing something comparable. Like, probably the biggest competition for Goyf was Scavenging Ooze, which at one point was, like, legitimately competing in Legacy for the Goyf slot. But Goyf has definitely won that battle and is clearly more played than Scavenging Ooze is now. So I don't think there's any chance that they just print something more powerful. And I don't know if they can print something that invalidates Tarmogoyf. We have Rest in Peace, Relic of Progenitus, Scavenging Ooze, Deathrite Shaman, like, the Delve cards, things go on and on. Like, I don't know if there is a single card. What, I can't even, what card would you print that would just invalidate Tarmogoyf. And even a creature isn't a great option because a lot of the decks that Goyf has played in will just kill it. Like, sure, like, I'll abrupt decay your Anafenza that exiles the graveyard, uh, so they don't even really care. Like, Goyf has been the best card, the best creature for what it does as a vanilla beater through all the hate they've printed over the past 10 years, and I don't think there is a hate card they could print. Like, they could print a zero-mana destroy target Goyf, and that still wouldn't, <laughs> they still wouldn't stop it. I actually figured this out. What if they print a two-mana, two-one humility on a stick? I don't know how that works, because would the humility destroy itself? <laughs> but if they somehow did that, Glyph would be a zero-one, while your fair four-to-cast five-fives would remain five-fives. Mm. That is true. That's humility on a stick somehow could do it. Or even like a two-mana, five-five flying. Like, that doesn't need Delve, like Tombstalker. You could conceivably replace Glyph with that. Or like a two-mana, true-name nemesis, like a three-one. That's like a slower clock, but 
is more resilient and kind of performs the same role. So I, well, I can see, like, different takes on it, but I can't see a straight-up vanilla creature beating Goyf. I mean, obviously they could print something that outclass Tarmogoyf. Like, you can conceive of a card that is better. I just don't think that's the kind of card that Wizards wants to print. Like, I don't think... And I think they like having Tarmogoyf being the best creature and being the selling point for Modern Masters sets. Like, Wizards likes having Tarmogoyf be that card, I think. It's good for them. Chaz. Yeah, um, I'm kind of... I agree with basically everything you guys are saying, and, and I think it's fair to say that they probably won't print another Tarmogoyf. Uh, but the game has lasted 25 years, so, I mean, let's just say the game lasts another 25 years just for the sake of argument. 25 years is a long time for one card to not get outclassed by another card. So I'm not going to say it wouldn't ever happen, I think the most likely of any scenario that Tarmogoyf becomes quote-unquote invalidated, where it doesn't really become invalidated, but the meta shifts in a way where Tarmogoyf is just not as effective as it used to be. And we did kind of see this somewhat in modern. I don't know, legacies a little differently. They don't regulate legacy as much as they do modern. But we did see a kind of a shift away from Tarmogoyf when Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time were the, the the hottest thing in modern, and everyone wanted to play Dig Through Time and, and Treasure Cruise. You, you didn't see Tarmogoyf just getting played as much as it used to, so it, it wasn't really invalidated because Tarmogoyf was still a great card, and, and decks did play Tarmogoyf when they weren't playing Treasure Cruise, uh, I guess. But, yeah, you're right, Seth. I mean, it's a, it's a great card to reprint and, and drive sales, but... You know, so the the most likely scenario is that they either reprint it enough times that it's a more reasonable price for players to buy, um, or there's just a kind of shift in the meta where Tarmogoyf's not necessarily bad, but it's just not as impactful uh, as it is currently. So well, that's that's just the likely thing of just a player who has played the game a long time. I mean, cards come and go, and you know, it's it's a long time to say that uh, no one card is ever replaced. I mean, for a long time, people never thought Sarah Angel was replaced, and here we are now. Sarah <laughs> Angel's like a, a horrible card. But no, it's true. I mean, Sheevan Dragon at one point was like, how are they ever going to print a flying creature like of this power? And, you know, then you have Exalted Angel, and you're like, oh, my God, this is like the best flying creature you've ever seen in your life. Then you have Baneslayer Angel. So... I mean, there there are cards that get invalidated. Yeah, but there are also cards that never get invalidated, like Ancestral Recall, Brainstorm. Right. There, I mean, there are many cards that have stood the test of time as well, <laughs> right. right? So yeah. But I think your point stands. I think like Magic would probably die. That like, that'd be the more likely scenario before uh, Tarmogoyf gets replaced, or that they reprint it somehow so that it's lower in price. But I don't imagine them, you know, printing it so it goes down to ten bucks or anything. It's no, no command a fairly hefty price tag. So I think the gist of it is if you want to play with Tarmogoyfs, like buy your Goyfs. I, I don't think anything's going to happen anytime soon to do anything to Tarmogoyfs. And... I mean, if if you went this long without them, um, I guess you can always wait a little longer for them to keep reprinting it. So uh, you say you have a lot of legacy staples, go play lands or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> All right. One more, one more question for you on the topic. 
is there any chance they could repaint, reprint Goyf in standard? In the right standard, no fetches, yeah. of course. Like I think Goyf is, is not it, that strong in standard. Right? Isn't it possible that they could No, do that? what? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's still good. I mean, they, it's good, but it's not, like, crazy, like... Well, they said the same thing when it was first printed, that it would never be standard viable, and then, you know... It wasn't later, standard viable, right? No yeah, one played it standard, did they? Sure they did. I thought it was garbage yeah. standard. Tarmogoyf, Oran, Viper, Doran, the Siege Tower, yeah, man. Well, I don't know. I think you can print it in standard. I don't think it's that overpowered, I, but it's more of the, are they going to crash the price like that? Like, yeah. I think I, they don't want to do that. I, I think they even said they weren't ever going to, so I think they've actually officially said they would never print a card like – they would never print Goyf, rather, in a in a standard set. Yeah, well – I don't know if I have the exact quote in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I've seen that. They also said they would never reprint Force of Will on Modo, so I bought them, and now they're worth 20 bucks instead of 150 <laughs> Did they actually say that at some point? Yeah, they apparently they did at one point. Said they would never put it in another actual set on Modo. Yeah, they I guess they didn't man. do that. They they put it as a promotion. The but only thing that... Vintage Masters. Oh, that's right. The yeah. only thing they have to uphold is the reserved list at this point. So I guess whatever they do say, they can renege at any one point when people forget. So if people kind of just forget that uh, little tidbit of information and they're like, yeah, guys, sales are low. What what can we do? Let's print Tarmogoyf in standard. Yeah, that'll do it. We'll, we'll so. make an ally Tarmogoyf. <laughs> What do Actually, you do? Lergoyf? An ally Lergoyf. <laughs> it would be yeah, a great... the battlefield, all your creatures get plus star, plus star. Stars the creature types in your graveyard. Oh my God. Card types in your graveyard. Oh. Super, super duper expedition mythic. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was going to say, though. If they did keep going with expedition type things, you could bet Tarmogoyf would be in something like that before too long. Like, that's the perfect card to have a full art, like, expedition printing. Yeah, that would make sense. And here we go, back to my original thing. Like, is Expeditions just going to be something that we're going to grow accustomed to at this point? Maybe. I don't know. I think it would be kind of lame, but, I mean... And then isn't it just another rarity, but we're, like, being tricked into thinking it's not another rarity? Yeah, so no, that would... You can buy the card at lower rarity. That's the big difference. If they if they true. made a bonus and you could only buy it at bonus, then you're screwed. You have to pay, like, $1,000 for your guys. I remember, I think we would be in that position where a friend of mine, uh, so this is going off topic, not, it's kind of not really going super off topic, but um, plays the, the card game like uh, Card Fight Vanguard, yeah. something like that, and they have like a rarity, but then they have an extra rarity, but it's the same card, but it's like super duper awesome, and it's like foil or something like that, or foil a little different. <laughs> yeah, something like that, I don't know, so... It would be like that, but yeah, you're right, Richard. It would never be like an officially new rarity because technically you could buy the card at a lower rarity. I, I think Wizards learned, hopefully, their lesson from that because, uh, what is the name of it? Uh, it starts with some dragon. It was given out in like 1994, Nafty Dragon or something, and they only gave it away at a certain, I think it was Dragon Con. I can't I can't find the name of it. It starts with an N and it's a dragon. And then there was such an uproar because this was an actual tournament legal card, but the only way you could get it was being at this one convention in one place on one weekend. 
that they ended up having to send them out in like the duelist or something to everyone basically because <laughs> people were getting beaten down by this card that they literally couldn't get if they this was before the internet before the vending <laughs> system so you just randomly get beat down by this card that you could not get if you wanted to <laughs> Yeah, that's something that they probably shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully... I'm glad they learned their lesson. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Like, could you imagine if Ulamog was literally just an expedition and that was the only way you could get it? What would the price of yeah. that card be? Like, it's... Insane. Yeah. yeah that, that is, like, treading dangerous water. Yeah, that would, that would, I think, be a huge problem for the game if there was that type of rarity and that was the only printing of card, of a card. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't threaten to leave the game. I never really have, but if they pull something like that, that's, that's like kind of my foot starting to go out the door. Well, it, so. and people already say that about Mythics, and we already see the impact of that on prices where, you probably know this better than me because you were more active in the pre-Mythic era, but yeah. rares were worth money at one point in Magic's history. <laughs> like, rares were 15 and $20 regularly, but then Mythics yeah. came along and all the value is stratified to this one small group of cards and all the rares are worthless. Yeah, I remember, like, the days of, like, Troll Aesthetic was, like, a chase card, like, in Standard. And it was, like, 15 bucks. But, yeah, then you just... You, well, see, the thing is, is, like, I mean, how how do you want how far do you want to push the envelope? I think they pushed it, and then they're kind of content with it. But I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past them. I don't know. I don't think they would do it to a point where something is slightly less uh, slightly less uh, frequent than a foil mythic rare, but you really need it to play standard or something like that. Like, and yeah, if it's cosmetic, that's one thing. But like, if you want to release Ulamog at mythic, and then like an expedition Ulamog that's like just looks really cool. Uh that's one thing. But just having something like that, uh and then it's also like a standard staple, that that's a problem. And the, and I mean that's what they basically did with the Power Nine cards on Magic Online. We haven't seen this in paper yet, but their only printing was basically as they called it the special rarity, but they were basically super mythics. Uh, yeah. So if something like that happened in the paper card game, that would be scary. Like, I think it, most people have come to grips with Mythics and their impact on the game and are all right with them. But if there was ever Super Mythics, which were eight times as rare as Mythics, they would be so expensive that I think that could really be a big problem for the game. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 an interesting thought. I, I don't. You know, the game's been around a long time. I don't know what the future holds. Uh, if the game keeps going for as long as it does now, you know, we could be talking about something like that not too long from now. Yeah. I don't know. Episode 1253, I think. That's my yeah, prediction. Yeah, super, super duper <laughs> awesome mythic time. <laughs> quit. We quit the game. Yeah. <laughs> super mythic would be fun. Uh, I think uh, oh, so Force uh, of Will has like this, I don't know what it is. It's like a special promo card which is like super duper mythic and if you open it you can theoretically give it back to your game store or send it back to the company and they send you a booster box so it's like literally a lottery ticket that's like in your pack and its sole purpose is to get you a booster box and i think stuff like that's a bit cool like you know all the hype we had for modern masters you know for the dream of opening foil goit like the odds are so low that it doesn't matter but everyone was hyped anyway right so having these expeditions or having this kind of lottery thing kind of just takes the, the crack packing addiction and like just amps it up by like 10, right? So yeah, I think it's actually pretty cool as long as they don't 
force you to have to play the lottery by making like actual cards there. Um, you know, having cool giveaways or even something like here's like a draft on Moto or something, right? Like stuff like that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Would be interesting. Uh, I think for now, uh, I think they're testing the waters for just expeditions. So this is all very uh, hypothetical stuff. But it, it's an interesting uh, dialogue to have because, you know, when, when Mythics first came out, people didn't know what the hell was going to happen. And uh, here we are. Mythics are okay, I guess. There's some good ones. There's some bad ones, just like rares. But they're less frequent. So, But I, I think everyone kind of uh, accepted them because they kind of drive down the price of all the – normally, rather, a, a decent amount of the time, they drive down the prices of all the rarities below them. So I don't know. Uh, it would be interesting to have like a lottery like that where you just get a random ticket for a box uh, like, like Force of Will does. Uh, but the thing is, is like no matter what they do, if they incentivize people to start buying more product rather than – scouring through and just buying the singles they want like like the expeditions is uh incentivizing people to go out and buy boxes and cases and stuff like that and packs uh that's ultimately a good thing for players because it drives down the prices like we've said many times before seth where we see like mantis riders at one dollar and uh it would be interesting in terms of like an mtg finance perspective maybe at one point we'll all start opening up uh Brick and mortar stores. Well, it's actually really good for wizards, <laughs> which is the key point. Right like today, they make like no money. Yeah. And you go buy your Snapcaster mages from Star City Games. Star City Games is banking everything, right? So yep. by making people crack packs like they do on Hearthstone or most other mm-hmm. like TCGs, the money goes to wizards, and wizards can then use that to develop the game rather than kind of financing all of these uh, gaming stores. Yep. Yeah, it would be an interesting shift in where the value is. But, um, yeah, we covered everything. Really great cast, uh, guys. Um, we talked about a lot of good stuff. Oh, um, one more thing. Oh, go ahead, One sorry. more thing on the way out the door. Cruise Catcher is now $30. Got bought out. Sick. $30 uncommon. That's insane. I I buy-listed those for, I think it was like 10 bucks, 11 bucks or something like that. thought I was, like, getting away with murder. <laughs> You can you can still find them on eBay for like fifteen bucks. I don't know how long that'll last. There's a few copies still available on eBay, so if you're looking for some, well, actually, this podcast won't go up for three days. Never mind. The spike will be back to normal as some guy who has like a hundred curse catchers. Is like, what do I do? Yeah, yeah. I think this is like the uh, the Deceiver Exarch uh, fiasco that I indirectly caused, um, where Deceiver Exarch's like a ten dollar uncommon overnight and then goes back down to like. Maybe a new segment I think that would be cool is maybe when a card gets bought out, we have to try to like pick which financer from Twitter did the buying out. Wouldn't that be a fun game? Like, yeah, I think that would be great. <laughs> uh, at Saffron Olive. <laughs> hey, that, <laughs> hey, hey, guys, you called me. <laughs> By the way, would you guys like some curse catchers? <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, curse catchers really spiked. I don't own any. Disclaimer, but I would sell you some if you want some. <laughs> I know a guy who can sell you Chris Catchers. Just yeah. <laughs> I have a friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right, gentlemen. I, we will do this next week. Sweet. All right. Go play some pre-release and uh, may you crack some expeditions. Yeah. Not the shit. Uh, have fun, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> not the smoldering marsh. We want, tar- we want scalding tarns. 
Uh, so, yeah, we will do this next week. This is the MTG Goldfish crew signing out.